0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast, I am going to be joined by a man who I've said numerous times for at least a year now, maybe more, that in my book, he's the number one Buffalo Bills podcaster out there in the game today. Course, I'm talking about Bruce Nolan. Bruce is host of the Bruce exclusive on the Buffalo Rumleys Network. He's going to join me today. Bruce has been on the pod many times. Um, Some of the best conversations that I've ever had in the history of this podcast have been with Bruce. I don't expect any different today either. Uh, Today, Bruce becomes Professor Bruce Nolan. We're going to go positionally, and Bruce is going to give a grade for each positional group on the Buffalo Bills through the quarter point of the regular season, first four games. Uh, We'll discuss a few of his biggest Bills takeaways through four games. We'll give out a little early season hardware, um, offer some NFL league-wide takes, much more with my man, Bruce Nolan. I'm going to have that for you in just a quick minute. Before that, though, I need to let you know that today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts... They roll out a new shirt design every two weeks, sell that shirt, and then it's a wrap for that shirt. Uh, here's the best part about what they do, folks. Every single time they sell a shirt, every shirt sold, a donation is made to that specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every single time. Since they started up in 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate something absurd. Last time I checked, it was like around. something nuts like that, man. Del Reed, that crew, they do such an amazing job. They make the lives of so many people better. It's awesome to see. And then last but not least, because this is worth mentioning, they're really cool looking, outstanding design shirts. They're comfortable. They're sporty to wear. They look great. I have a ton of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what calls need you this week. And on that note, let's do it. The best
0: is yet to come.
1: All right, everyone, we are on episode 259, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Not gonna waste any time here at the top. Got my favorite Buffalo Bills podcaster out there, my man Bruce Nolan, recurring guest Bruce Nolan. What's
0: going on, Bruce? How you doing? Dude, it's a party all the time. Just disco balls, dancers. The Bills are 4-0. There's wings falling from the sky. We're all wearing Zumbas. I don't know what else you could possibly want. You know, let me tell
1: people out there listening two things. Number one, my man Bruce is being kind of heroic here. You might not notice because he's always got the energy up when the mic's on. But he's fighting an illness. I'm fighting stupidity because I've had all kinds of issues. (laughs) getting our recording going tonight. This is actually take two here. But yeah, man, Bills are 4-0 for the first time since 2008, and I'm sure you would agree that this year, 12 years after that, this team being 4-0 feels a lot different than it did back in 2008, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. One of the hallmarks of the Bruce Exclusive podcast is that the method by which you win is more predictive of future wins than the win itself. And so, yes... Multiple teams can be four and Multiple teams can be three and o. Multiple teams can be two and o. But your probability of extending that to three and o, four and o, five and o, and being good in the future is more a result of how you won than it is the fact that you won. And so, not all wins are created equal. And the 2008 Bills team is not the same as this 2020 Bills team. So, it's yeah, we're four and o, but it feels different. When you have an MVP candidate at quarterback than it does when you have, well, at the time we were calling him captain clutch, he eventually became known to as captain, (laughs) but I do find that highly ironic that we had a, a zone based cover two sort of coach with a quarterback. We were calling captain clutch. Yeah. I mean, there are some weird similarities, but this team is markedly, markedly better. Than that team. And it mostly starts with Josh Allen, but I don't know how you could possibly not be excited. Yes, there are yeah buts about this team. There are. There are some yeah buts about this team. But we have been waiting for the biggest plurality of whether or not you win and lose a game, that being quarterback play, to come around for 20 years for this franchise. And we're closer now than we've ever been. So I don't know how you could not be happy about that. Let me ask you this, because what we're going to do today, and I kind of hit at it
1: during the intro, is going to go positionally, and Bruce Nolan is going to be Professor Bruce Nolan today. We're going to go by position, and you're going to give a grade with a little bit of insight on each of the positions. But before that, kind of generally speaking right now, like, what would be one or two of your biggest takeaways right now when it comes to the Buffalo Bills specifically through the first four weeks, which again, the quarter point in the season, just one or two of your of your biggest takeaways right now.
0: Well, I think that saying Josh Allen would probably be a little bit of a, I don't know, kind of a, a layup, an easy one, the low hanging of the low hanging fruit. But you have to start there. You know, Josh Allen, I, I've taken to calling him Josh Allen, the improbable because of. The idea that a second-year quarterback can jump this significantly in year three is rare. What we are seeing from Josh Allen is rare. This is not the same quarterback that we saw last year. This is not the same quarterback we saw during his rookie year. And although we saw growth from year one to year two, the growth from year two to year three is exponentially more, especially when it comes to downfield passing, his ability to process, his ability to know where his answers are as far as the offensive scheme and knowing, okay, they give me this, I know that. And really when it comes to Josh Allen, it's always going to be about that ratio that I've talked about ad nauseum. And that is the ratio of plays that an average quarterback wouldn't likely make versus the ratio of plays that an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss. And this year, that ratio is slanted very significantly in the Bills' favor. And you wonder whether or not it'll ever be completely turned off because Josh Allen is a gamer and that's kind of what he does. He's always going to have those moments, I think, where you go, oh, Josh, what um, what, what would you say you do in here, buddy? And those are going to be part of him. But you can't, as Brian Dable talked about before, you can't really coach that out of him because that's really a fundamental regard for his aggressiveness. And you don't want him to not be aggressive because the same trait that makes him do those things sometimes is the same trait that makes him hang on to the ball and take a ridiculous sack now and then. You just hope that your team is on the winning end of that ratio. And thus far this year, the Bills have been drastically on the winning end of that ratio. I think that Josh Allen is story one. And I understand it's low-hanging fruit. And I understand it's pretty tired out at this point, to be honest. But I'm not entirely sure I'm ever going to get tired of having a really good quarterback. So I guess we start there.
1: Okay. Very fair. Um, I got one or two. Let me know if you agree with these. I watch this team right now. And granted, I am older than you, but I'm sure you at least know about these teams well. They remind me a little bit of those 90 Super Bowl teams. And here's what I mean. I'm not guaranteeing any success. Who knows if they can even win a game right now in the playoffs as things stand. But I feel like when I watch this team play football, which is so different than years past over this last decade or even two decades, I feel like anytime the Buffalo Bills have the ball that they could score and they could score from anywhere at any time on anywhere in the field. Uh, The defense is underperforming at least a little bit, I think anyway, but they have talented guys who can make enough plays to win. That reminds me an awful lot of those Buffalo Bills, Super Bowl teams. Do you see that comparison in a way? Or do you think I'm entirely off at this point, this early in the season? And by all means, if I am, Again, I got no problem with somebody telling me I'm wrong. Like, what's your thought when you hear something like that?
0: I I absolutely get it. I totally understand it. And, you know, it's one of the reasons you draft a quarterback like Josh Allen. One of the reasons you go out and you get a receiver like Stefan Diggs is the idea that it makes the defense defend every blade of grass on the field. And when you have a quarterback who doesn't even necessarily have to have his feet set to be able to deliver the ball on a rope 20 to 40 yards down the field, that is... That is a real weapon for a defense. And what it does is it creates natural spacing for an offense because you can't just give up certain areas of the field to Josh Allen anymore. One of the problems last year was if you got burned deep as a defense against Josh Allen, well, la dee da he can't really connect on any of them. So it doesn't really matter. So you can start to compress down on those intermediate routes and not let Josh Allen do the things that he wants to do. And when you have an arm like Josh Allen has, the hope is that it forces the defense to be able to have to defend every blade of grass on the field. You can't just say, okay, well, we're going to give him this because there is an element of rock, paper, scissors to play calling that I don't think fans are necessarily always comfortable with because every defense has a weakness. That is what it is. There is no coverage scheme in the world that doesn't have a weakness. It doesn't exist. Everything has a weakness. There are man beaters and zone beaters and, you know, cover two is weak up the seam and, you know, cover three has its own different weaknesses. And then man has different weaknesses and press is different and everything has a weakness. And so if you have a quarterback who can exacerbate those weaknesses by not being able to take advantage of certain things that your defense is giving them. That just makes the job easier for the defense. That's the reason why teams are going out trying to find someone who has quote unquote arm talent. You know what arm talent is, Pat? Arm talent is that throw from Josh Allen to John Brown that should have been ruled a touchdown. That's arm talent. That is a throw that only a few people on the planet Earth can actually make. And that's the realized potential of what you were hoping you got with Josh Allen was this idea that a defense goes i mean i don't know i i don't i don't know i mean we bring pressure and he beats us with a hot read and we don't bring pressure and he picks us off and we go man and they run away from us with a drag route and we go zone and we don't get pressure and he beats us in the intermediate areas of the field what do you do That's the point. The point is be able to find somebody who allows you to do as many things as possible on offense where the defense just doesn't have enough answers. And last year, there was a very, very clear objective for a defense when playing against Josh Allen in this bill's offense. Go cover one, go cover zero, go press man and dare him to beat you before the pressure got there. With Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen being in sync the way that they are right now, that's no longer an option. With him hitting on deep balls, that is no longer an option. Now teams are like, oh my gosh, let's just not give up the big play to Josh Allen and the Bills. That creates a really significant dynamic because no matter what the defense gives you inherently in their coverages, you are capable of taking advantage of it.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Good
1: point. I'll tell you what, let's just jump right into the grades Because we spent a lot of time talking Josh Allen already. So let's get the quarterback position out of the way. Because there are, you know, and just like like in real football here, Josh Allen deserves and is getting a ton of credit, as he should. But it's been a very good team effort while they're 4-0. It's not just Josh Allen. So let's get him out of the way and then we can spend a little time talking about some of the other guys at the other positions. Now in terms of quarterback, Josh Allen, completed nearly 71% of his passes Thrown for over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, only one interception. Uh, He's been sacked nine times in four games, which is pretty good. Uh, Three rushing touchdowns, three fumbles. Uh, We know the stats. I want to get the grade from you now. Right now, at this point, a quarter in, again, Professor Bruce Nolan, what's your grade at the quarterback position?
0: Josh Allen gets an A, and I don't understand how you could possibly give him anything other than an A. At this point, a quarter of the way into the season, he's an MVP candidate what more could you possibly want? Has it been flawless? No, but flawless is not humanly possible. So we recognize the flaws. This is really important when we're critiquing Josh Allen. So I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this because I'm sure there's going to be somebody out there that goes, where's the A plus Bruce? And to that, I would say A plus means flawless. There is no flawless. Nobody gets an A plus. There will be no A pluses on this list because flawless." is not what's happening here, but also flawless is not what you're going to get anywhere else. I wish that people would watch other games with other teams and other quarterbacks and view it through the same lens they view Josh Allen, which which is to know that there are bad things and quarterbacks are going to have bad plays. And you acknowledge those bad plays. You don't just forget about them. Josh Allen took a terrible sack against the Raiders, that costs us three points and the ability to go up by three scores. That matters. We should acknowledge that. So if somebody jumps into my mentions and tells me to shut up because I dare say that Josh Allen didn't do something well, they can go away because we acknowledge those things. But that doesn't mean that you don't have tons of positives. Each play is evaluated in a vacuum by itself. And so Josh Allen gets an A because the overwhelming majority of the answers to the questions, if you view every play like the question on a test, how could you say he didn't get an A? Yes, it's not flawless. There have been a small handful of plays over the course of this year where you go, oh, Josh, no, no, that's not right. But if you look at every play that the Bills have run this year, as if it was a question on a test and you graded it yes or no, he'd get an A.
1: Yeah, I don't see how you can come to any other conclusion. One other fun fact that I saw when it comes to him statistically that I read is that he had a hundred and fifteen point eight passer rating on Sunday, and he's been over a hundred in all four games, which is the first time that a Bills quarterback's done that since Joe Ferguson, all the way back in the late 70s. So yeah, no question about that. Let's move on to the receivers here because I'll tell you what, man, these guys are making some plays. I remember at some point during the game on Sunday saying to my buddy who I watch it with, I'm like, I can't remember the last time I've seen Bills receivers make better catches more consistently. Just going to that Raiders game alone, Beasley had that phenomenal catch. I mean, it was a perfect throw, but Brown made a great catch. Diggs went up and got that bomb. So when it comes to the receivers, you got Diggs. He's tied for the NFL lead, 403 receiving yards already, 26 catches. Uh, Cole Beasley's played a big role, 18 catches, 260 yards, and a touchdown. John Brown's battled a leg injury, but he still has 14 catches for a buck ninety-four and two scores. And then Gabriel Davis, the rookie, he's kind of coming out of nowhere. He's really emerging quickly. Eight catches, 129 yards, two touchdowns, which, by the way, I'm looking at the stats now, eight catches on eight targets. So every time they've went his way, he's caught the ball. And even Isaiah McKenzie, seven catches for eight, eight yards, and then three carries for 15 yards, including a big first down run against the Raiders on Sunday. So you take that trio and and
0: what, uh, what grade do you come up with with them? The receivers get an A as well. Stephon Diggs has been everything he was billed to be and more. The ability to separate in the short area gives Josh Allen another answer against the things that plagued him in 2019, which was the single high cover zero looks. So that helps there. His ability to win contested catches, which we have now seen on some deep balls, helps Josh Allen improve another thing that he was troublesome with last year, which is connecting on the deep balls. So it's almost like Stefan Diggs was the answer to what plagued Bill's offenses last year and what plagued Josh Allen last year. He was the answer to the test. It was this, okay, here's your essay question. How do we help the Bills passing attack in 2020? And instead of writing an essay, you just write Stefan Diggs, period. Walk away, drop the pencil. You don't even, everyone else is still scribbling their notes and you're just going, no, I'm done with the test. Go drop it in, enjoy your A plus and move on. Because that's a flawless answer. The entire team is better because of what Stefan Diggs has brought. Cole Beasley has been sure-handed. Cole Beasley has been involved. Cole Beasley has been everything that we thought he was going to be when we brought him there. John Brown has been hampered with some injuries, but because of that, it's given us an opportunity to see Gabriel Davis. And whenever you have a wide receiver who looks good in training camp, you always wonder oh, everyone, every year, it's this one guy who looks good in training camp, and it never translates. And this year it did. And the thing about Gabriel Davis that you have to understand is this has been a historic wide receiver class. It has been in practice every bit as good as it was billed to be leading up to the 2020 NFL draft. And so when you have Gabriel Davis, you think he was a fourth round pick in that class. This guy probably is a day 2 pick in some other class. So I was on record as saying that I liked Isaiah Hodgins a little bit better than Gabriel Davis. And I still liked Gabriel Davis, but The idea that someone who was that raw of a route runner who ran very, very limited route tree in college at UCF can come in and contribute immediately as a rookie speaks to what Brian Dable is asking him to do. And that is, I'm going to ask you to do the things that you're good at. We're going to run vertically with Gabriel Davis. We are going to run deep overs. We are going to make an give him an opportunity to provide a target for Josh Allen separating vertically. Because that's what Gabriel Davis is good at, separating vertically. He's that, you know, the quarter pole kind of guy. The last quarter of your route, not the first quarter of your route. And so, he's been doing those things. I don't know what else you could ask for from the wide receiver trio that we have. Specifically, if you add Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie has continued to do Isaiah McKenzie things. And it's getting A from me. Let me ask you this. Were you concerned before the season a little bit about
1: ball distribution? targets and what it would look like because last year you had Beasley and Brown I think both guys got over 100 targets right around that then you bring in Diggs who I mean is pretty well known got unhappy in Minnesota in part because he wasn't getting the ball enough so maybe that was a concern but you look at these these ball distribution charts right now through four weeks and you got Diggs at 35 targets Beasley at 24 Brown at 23 sounds pretty juicy
0: and good to you doesn't it Yeah, I'm down with it. One of the main concerns I was going to have moving into this year was, would the offense be able to stay on the field to generate enough plays to generate enough targets? Because the way it works is that targets to profitable receivers generate more targets to profitable receivers. That's the way this works. So if your offense struggles as a whole staying on the field, then there's not enough plays to get enough targets to go around, and the whole cycle repeats itself. So... Josh Allen's emergence year three has opened up more opportunities for everybody. And that really just speaks to the plurality that the quarterback position is, is that when the quarterback position is playing well, it opens up the thing for everybody else and specifically target shares for wide receivers. So yes, I'm very pleased. And no, I didn't necessarily think that there was going to be as target distribution rich as it is right now.
1: Yeah. One little fun stat too, again, from the Bill's PR department, I found a Diggs is 403 yards this season through four games, the most through four games since Eric Mole had 418 all the way back in 2002. So pretty cool. Let's move on to running backs here. So you got Devin Singletary, 50 carries for 212 yards and a touchdown. He's averaging 4.2 per carry, 16 catches for 114 yards. He's on pace for 1,304 scrimmage yards this year. Zach Moss He's been banged up and hurt, missed the last two games, 17 carries for 48 yards, only 2.8 per carry, did catch three passes, including a short touchdown against the Jets. I don't want to call it disappointing because, again, he's really hasn't even been healthy for all but a game and a half of these four games. But anyway, you take these guys, and uh, what grade do you come up with here?
0: I give him a C C+. The running backs have been fine. They haven't been asked to do a lot, and it's a good thing they haven't been asked to do a lot because... They've been fine, just fine. Devin Singletary obviously got a chance to shine a little bit more against the Raiders than he has historically been able to. But, you know, the last couple drives against the Raiders were a little bit disappointing in the Bills' inability to run out the clock and have significant amounts of clock drain off by running the ball during an obvious run situation. And Devin Singletary has been fine. He's been fine. And Zach Moss has been a little bit below fine, probably, overall. And I think that part of that comes from the blocking up front. Part of it comes from playing the Jets offense, sorry, the Jets run defense in week one. And that's an extremely stout run defense. So I have a feeling bigger sample size against lesser run defenses might have an opportunity for this grade to go up over the next quarter of the season. But right now, they've been fine. They've been okay. They get a C plus from me.
1: Fair enough. You're not worried at all about Zach Moss. I might even talk about the injury. Like what little you've seen from him. I think he's going to be fine. Just a case again of a rookie in his first couple games.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. I'm not worried about it right now. I think that Zach Moss, you know, when we had a chance to see him, when the blocking was right, when he had an opportunity to make a play, he was everything that we thought he was coming into the league, which was vision and contact balance. That's what Zach Moss gives you. And I haven't seen anything at this point to indicate that I should be concerned.
1: Yeah, fair enough. All right, tight ends here. The numbers aren't great. Tyler Croft, five catches, 36 yards, does have two touchdowns. Dawson Knox, who's had a concussion earlier this year, five for 78. And then Lee Smith and Gilliam each have one catch, but they were for touchdowns. So there's nothing statistically sticking out about this unit whatsoever. I don't know what the expectation was, but they do have four touchdowns between them, including three in one game. So again, you look at this unit and uh, what grade you come up with right now?
0: I have a B-minus for the tight ends, mostly because of opportunity. You know, they haven't been asked to do a lot, like you said. They've been asked to kind of fill in the role because, you know, Patrick DeMarco isn't here. And so what we've seen is we've seen a lot of Dawson Knox in the backfield. And we seen Tyler Croft on the goal line. And we saw Reggie Gilliam on the goal line. We saw Lee Smith in the goal line. So they've been asked to do some things that don't necessarily line up with what you asked them to do last year. And that is you haven't seen a lot of... Dawson Knox running deeper routes down the field. Now, part of that's been because he's been out with an injury and Tyler Croft has played well when given an opportunity. But to be honest, they just don't have the volume of targets necessary to really have a high grade. What you've asked them to do, they've been able to do. And I think the departure of Patrick DeMarco has kind of put a little bit different skill sets on the field and they've the onus on the tight end position has changed. Because you'll start to see Dawson Knox, ironically enough, Dawson Knox used a little bit more the way that he was used at Ole Miss, which is you're seeing him off the shoulder of a tackle here and you're seeing him out in the backfield a little bit, which is kind of of funny to me. But for what they've been asked to do, limited as it may be, I think they've done fine. They get a B- minus from me. I remember you being pretty high when we did a season preview
1: on Dawson Knox before the season. Again, he's coming back from an injury. He's being used a little bit differently. Do you expect that to change much or do you think pretty much what we're seeing due to four games is going to be the
0: type of year that he has going forward? I do expect to see more Dawson Knox as the year goes on. I think that having Dawson Knox's ability to be able to allow you to still have a tight end on the field and 11 personnel, be able to potentially have a team that matches up differently against that. I think it really it's going to be a matter of how does the defense play 11? Because so far this year, the Bills have been eleven. Or 10 personnel, the overwhelming majority of the time. And so, if you have a team who plays 11 a little bit heavier, or who plays 11 with a particularly bad coverage linebacker that you don't really think can run with Dawson Knox, I would expect to see some of those deep overs from Dawson Knox, some of the seam routes against cover two and other two high looks. And I really feel like that there's an opportunity for Dawson Knox still. I'm not willing to jump off the bandwagon quite yet. Also, I picked him in fantasy, so there's definitely that, <laughs> but I, I feel like there's still something there, and he certainly gives you a more dynamic option than Tyler Croft does. I, I'm not willing to hit the panic button quite yet on Dawson Knox's uh, tight end distribution, especially given the fact that he still has those raw physical traits, and I think I think there's something there still. Let's
1: grade the offensive line. Now, this is a unit that I find pretty interesting here. I'm looking forward to your take on this. If nothing else it's very different than what we probably thought it was going to look like a week or so before the season started. So essentially Quentin Spain's been benched. Um, Winters took his spot. He got hurt. Cody Ford slide inside the first right guard. Now he's playing left guard and it looks like he's definitely going to stay there. Daryl Williams has been the starting right tackle since the first snap of week one. So that unit, it looks a lot different than what we thought it might be going into the season on the plus side. Josh Allen's only been sacked nine times this year, and there's been a lot of plays where he's had an eternity to throw the football, so he hasn't been pressured that much. Conversely, the running game, not very effective, only about 3.7 yards per carry. I'm sure they'd like to run the ball better. So when you look at this unit, the changes that have been made, the success pass blocking, but some struggles,
0: at least, in the running game. Uh, What grade are you going to come up with here? I give him a B. Dawson Knox is a good tight end to use as an example for this situation. So Dawson Knox has all the potential in the world. We just need to make sure that he's doing the things that he can do to the best of his ability to be able to help the team succeed. Cody Ford's the same way. I am very thrilled to see Cody Ford inside a guard, you know, as well as anybody that I pounded the table that Cody Ford had an opportunity to be a really good guard in this. Yes, league. you did. Yep. And he's been Okay. Right now. But if we just leave him there and stop messing with his position, I really feel like he and Deion Dawkins can end up being a really good left side of this line for a long time. On that note, Deion Dawkins has been great. The contract extension clearly has not satiated his hunger to be great. And he is the best offensive lineman on this team right now. And given the fact that we have Mitch Morse, that's saying something. So I'm very pleased with what we've seen. From Deion Dawkins. Mitch Morse has been every bit as good as we thought he was going to be when he came over. Now, the right side of the line is a little bit different. Derek Williams has been a re- sorry, Darry- Yeah, Daryl Williams has been a revelation at right tackle. He has recaptured his form. He's probably priced himself out of the market, to be honest. I don't know if we're going to be able to re-sign him, given how well he's played. But kudos to the coaching staff and the front office for being able to say, listen, we still think this guy can play right tackle. We know he had a really, really, really bad year last year, but we had him in 17. We believe in what we're asking him to do. We have familiarity with him. We're going to bring him in and give him a shot. He's been great. Brian Winters has been bad, really bad. I, I would, I'm trying to think how to say this really nicely. Quentin Spain should be playing at right guard instead of Brian Winters. I understand that Quentin Spain isn't quite as mobile, as we would like our guards to be given the fact that we were running a lot more screens than we were last year. And I totally understand that. However, Brian Winters is bad and there are some things that you can do with Brian Winters in the, in the lineup that maybe don't work quite as well with Quentin Spain. Cause you're not asking Brian Winters to do things that he can't do. And you might be asking Quentin Spain to do things he can't do, but there are more plays where you're asking an offensive lineman to literally just block the guy in front of them. And on those things, Quentin Spain is a better player right now than Brian Winters. So even if Brian Winters is healthy until John Feliciano comes back, I would still prefer to see Quentin Spain on the right side of the line at right guard. I give him overall a B because four out of five spots have been good or better. And one of them has been really bad. And that's Brian Winters.
1: Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's episode is being supported by Sounds Assured. So look, it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today. I spent a lot of time listening to them. And the biggest mistake that I hear, I can almost instantly tell. In fact, almost all the time, many people make this mistake. You go out, spend all your money on fancy microphones and boom arms, interfaces, recording devices, headphones, all the bells and whistles. But here's the problem. You get all this stuff and you don't treat your recording environment. I'm talking about mainly your walls, your ceiling, the result. Despite all the money you spent, all the stuff you got, the audio still sounds like crap. Listen, you need to invest in acoustic treatments. You got to make the gear that you spend your hard earned money on thrive. Sounds Assured is top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because I personally have some of my own home studio furnished by Sounds Assured. Available in multiple sizes, width, very reasonably priced. And this is the most important thing. Excellent quality. It's actually good stuff. You can go on Amazon and get the cheapest stuff out there. And trust me, I've done it too. It might look the part, but it doesn't work. Sounds Assured definitely does. Again, folks, invest in your audio the right way. Visit SoundsAssured.com. In fact, give them a call. Someone will be more than happy to discuss your needs with you. As a bonus, use promo code Moran10. You'll get 10% off any order. Do yourself, do your podcast, do your audio production a very big favor. Go check out soundsassured.com. All right, I am back with Bruce Dolan from the Bruce exclusive. Just graded the offense to recap an A for the quarterbacks, an A for the receivers, C plus for running backs, B minus for tight ends and a solid B on the offensive line. You know, I look at these grades now, and I think of us talking maybe five weeks or so ago. Borderline shocked. I mean, it was very hard to see this coming. Not necessarily the Bills being good early on. I don't know if we saw 4-0 coming, but, you know, 3-1 and would have been realistic. But if we would have had this discussion five weeks ago, how surprised are you on, like, say, a scale of 1-10, to that the offense has been as good as it is right now.
0: This is shocking. 37. Me. 37. <laughs> Pat. 37. I picked <laughs> Josh Allen. Uh, I did a podcast with a different podcaster and they were asking me to predict Josh Allen's stat line for 2020. I don't know if you know this or not, but I didn't pick this, Pat. That is not <laughs> what I picked. So I did pick a slight improvement from 2019, but not this. And You know, there are plenty of people who were touting Josh Allen as an MVP candidate coming to this year and kudos to them because they were right and I was wrong on this. I did expect Josh Allen to take a small step forward here, but I was not fully on board the idea that Josh Allen was going to be an MVP candidate and he still might not be an MVP candidate when the year is over with. But right now, a quarter of the way through the season, he is. And I'm, I'm here for it. I'm shocked, but I'm here for it. All right, let's switch to the defensive
1: side of the ball because I think this might be a little more, or I should say less predictable than the offense. Let's start defensive line. Sack totals, eh. Mario Edison's got two. Ed Oliver's one. Quentin Jefferson, one. A.J. Abanessa had one. Daryl Johnson had one. Trent Murphy's got one. Vernon Butler, nothing yet on the stat sheet. Uh, Justin Zimmer, by the way, had had one opening week. So eight sacks for the entire defensive line through two games. Uh, The defense is eighth in rushing yards allowed. 15th in yards per carry allowed. So again, I I think I'm a little more interested in this in the offense because this to me has been a little less predictable. But when you factor in pass rush, run defense, how some guys have looked individually, when you take this unit collectively, what does professor Bruce come up
0: with? I come up with a C for defensive line. And I think that we started to see potentially a swing in the positive direction in the back half of the Raiders game. So I know that you're a hockey guy. I'm not a hockey guy by any means. But if you think about the defensive line rotation, one of the discussions that fans were having about the run defense was, do we miss star? Do we miss star Latule? And my answer to that question is yes, we miss him, but not necessarily only for the reason you think it's not just because star Latule is a reasonable one gap, you know, one technique, run stuffing, defensive lineman. That's not the only reason why. It's also because he normalized the defensive line rotation for this team. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. When Star Latule comes out, it makes you wonder what your lines are going to be on offense. And you kind of scramble to find the right pieces to fit with the right pieces. And they experimented with some things that haven't always gone the way that they wanted them to. They experimented with Quentin Jefferson at one tech that did not go well. They had Quentin Jefferson and Oliver together, and that didn't work well. And then they had Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler together with Harrison Phillips at the one and Vernon Butler at the three, and that didn't work out well. And then they finally, I think, found the proper defensive tackle rotation, which is Harrison Phillips at the one with Ed Oliver and then Vernon Butler at the one with Quentin Jefferson at the three. And just like finding the right balance on hockey lines, you have to find the right balance on defensive line rotations as well. And I'm optimistic that when we started to see the defensive line get pressure in the back half of the Raiders game, that we're going to start to see that's the beginning of us trending in a positive direction when it comes to the right fits for the right talent on this team. And I think maybe it just took the team a little bit to figure out who their lines essentially were going to be. So that's the defensive tackles. The defensive ends, AJ Epinesa has been, eh, he's been fine. Trent Murphy has been better. Than he was. I think Jerry Hughes has been very good. Mario Addison's been pretty good. I think that overall, they've been okay. They've been okay. It really was an example of run fits being bad and then having the wrong defensive tackles for the wrong kind of situations early on in the year. And I think they figured it out. I'm optimistic that we maybe are moving in the right direction, but overall, I give it a C. Very fair. All right, linebackers. Matt
1: Milano, he's got a sack at interception, tackle for a loss. Of course, he's been injured. Uh, I thought Tyrell Dodson started against Miami and played pretty well, got a chance there. H. A. Kleinsman, eh. The big one, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your take on this guy, is Edmonds because, yes, he did hurt his shoulder in the Rams game. He is, I don't know, in my opinion anyway, something's just not right about him. I don't know if it's something physical I don't know if it's something mental. I don't know if he's shooting the wrong gaps. Maybe I'm not seeing what my eyes are showing me. I don't know. But anyway, I want to get a general grade for this position from you. And then I'd like your take on what you're seeing right
0: now from Tremaine Edmonds, whether it's good or bad. I give the position as a whole a C minus. AJ Klein, I was not a fan when we signed him. I said it was an overpay for a role player that I was hoping would be the fifth linebacker on this team. Turned out he was the third linebacker on this team, and he's been a liability in coverage. I know that some people thought that he was going to you know, have a great year because he was familiar with Sean McDermott's defense, and I was not high on AJ Klein coming into this year. And unfortunately, it looks like I may have been right about that one. We'll give it more time because sample size is still a real thing, sure. and it's four games. But AJ Klein has not been good. I think that Tremaine Edmonds and Tyrell Dodson on the field together in the absence of Matt Milano was markedly better than Tremaine Edmonds and A.J. Klein, especially having all three linebackers on the field at a time. Throwing out of those heavy formations, Pat, that's going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward, is having teams come in in 21 or 22 personnel and then throwing out of that so they force the Bills to put A.J. Klein on the field and then get him isolated on a linebacker. You got to have to watch for that moving forward because the Raiders had some success with that and If I have a player like AJ Klein, who I specifically want to target, and I have two reasonable tight ends, I'm going to roll out 21 or 22 personnel, maybe 12, force AJ Klein onto the field and say, okay, we're going after him. We are going after AJ Klein because he has not played well in coverage. And that's a liability when you are forced to put him on the field in heavier personnel packages. I think that Matt Milano has been good when he's been healthy. And him being hurt again is a problem for this team. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to talk about this offseason when the question comes to whether or not we're going to extend Matt Milano. I think the question has to be done. Hey, he's been hurt on more than a few occasions. When you and I did power ranking the top 20 bills, I put Matt Milano over Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. And I flat out said that some people were going to be a little huffy about that. They shouldn't be. Because Matt Milano is a better player than Tremaine Edmonds right now. And Tremaine Edmonds is not right. Like you said, yes, he's got a shoulder injury. He's not right. He's still good in coverage. He's still not taking correct angles when he goes to tackle. And because he's not taking correct angles and you ha- you contribute that to the shoulder injury, he's not tackling well. And that's a problem for the run defense. It's a problem for the perimeter passing game. That's the you know Jamison Crowder play where he was able to score that long touchdown. Very similar plays against the Rams. When Tremaine Edmonds is running to the perimeter, the angles aren't right. And I don't know if that's a relation to a shoulder or not. I I can't see a way physiologically why the shoulder would affect the angles that you're taking unless you're specifically trying to avoid specific hits on that shoulder, in which case he probably shouldn't be playing at that point. But I'm not going to panic quite yet on Tremaine Edmonds. But this is not the player we were hoping to see. We had one of our third-year players take a huge jump, and that's Josh Allen. Tremaine Emmons did not take the huge jump. Maybe maybe later on this year he could, but right now he's trickling toward the, um, is he okay kind of part of his development? And so I'm a little concerned. I was concerned about linebacker depth going into this year. Now I'm just concerned about linebackers.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> great point.
1: I want to follow it up by asking you this. Okay. So let's just assume Matt Milano gets healthy. Okay. I don't know what you, what you thought of Dodson against Miami and his one start there, but if the trend continues, like if there's just something that's not right about Tremaine Edmonds and this continues for much longer, a, would you consider at some point, maybe starting Dodson or B, and again, this is with Milano healthy or B, and maybe this is more for the casual or, not quite educated football fan when it comes to X's and O's. And by the way, I'm going to totally include myself in this. If they're in a three linebacker set, a heavy set, maybe the potential of Edmonds moving into an outside linebacker spot and Dodson playing in the middle. Is that like even a possibility? So that's part one. And then, like I said, part two, would you even consider at some point
0: maybe playing Dodson or Edmonds if things don't change? The leash on Tremaine Edmonds is going to be rightfully extremely long. He's a captain of your defense. He's a player that has been repeatedly talked about by Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier as a person who has done everything they've asked them to do the way they asked him to do it and is a model leader for this team. The idea that you might bench him does not come lightly. It's almost the equivalent to benching Josh Allen. So because of that, I think that the leash is going to be crazy long. I I would think there would have to be something catastrophic that would happen in order for Tremaine Edmonds to not start for this team. I am not personally even close to considering it because I want to see him develop with the shoulder injury. I I don't know how much that has hindered his growth, and I want to see what Tremaine Edmonds looks like the back half of this year. I have a decision to make on Tremaine Edmonds' fifth-year option. And I want as much statistically significant data as I can possibly get before I have to make that call. And if I bench him now, I won't get it. So the leash is going to be crazy long for Tremaine Edmonds until I consider him, you know, somebody who I would think about not starting.
1: Would it be possible given his skill set? And again, you would know this much better than I would, that maybe he's better suited to be an outside linebacker
0: as opposed to a middle linebacker. It's not crazy at all. A lot of people thought that a pursuit style role would have been better for Tremaine Edmonds than the middle linebacker role. A lot of people thought that because of his freaky length, a lot of people thought he was a three, four outside linebacker. He was an edge rusher. Right. That's how freaky this guy was. They couldn't even decide what to do with him when he was coming out of college. So I don't think it's insane. However, I think the bills are committed to making him the middle linebacker in this defense. I think they're committed to having that wingspan in the center in zone coverage. I think they look at him like they're Luke Keekley Now he's clearly not that player, not even close to being that player, but I think they're committed to him in that spot. And I think something drastic would have to happen for them to change positions with him or to bench him.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And let's not forget, he looked really good at times last year, especially in the back half of the year. Definitely not right. At least not right now. Anyway, all right, moving on to cornerback position. Okay. so. Levi Wallace is the only guy in the unit that has an interception. Been a little bit up and down. Trey White, of course, doesn't have an interception. For the most part, he's been very Trey White. Though I'm still kind of looking for a big play from him. Hasn't happened through the first month of the season. Don't know how many opportunities he's really had to do one either. Uh, Josh Norman just made his debut against the Raiders. Force a fumble, a very big fumble and a fumble recovery. That's promising because I have been very anti-Josh Norman. Pretty much as the day he signed here. Hopefully, he's proven me wrong already. Uh, Teron Johnson, very good against the run, very bad against the pass, at least from what I've seen. Teron so Neal hasn't really played much. So, again, another interesting unit. Uh, what grade do you come up with with these guys?
0: For the defensive backs, I have B minus. The defensive backs as a whole are partially responsible for the amount of passing yards that the Rams were able to get, that the Dolphins were able to get, that the Raiders were able to get. There's a part of that that matters. And Levi Wallace, of course, is a big part of getting picked on and getting big boyed against the Dolphins and really contributing toward a very significant day for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he had a a great interception against the Rams. And that was a great play from him. That was not a terrible ball by Jared Goff. It was It was arguably a big part golf's fault, but it wasn't a terrible ball. His issue was he was late against a cover three. And when you're late against that and you have people staring at you and it's a, you know, it's a non, it's a non moving route. I mean, that was a, a stop route. And so when you have something like that against a bunch of defenders whose eyes are on you, you cannot be late unless you've got an absolute cannon and Jared Goff was late and he doesn't have a cannon. So Levi Wallace credit to him made a great play. I as well have been down on Josh Norman since the day we got, because I I don't know if the guy can run. I was actually in the middle of Buffalo Bills, all 22 watching Josh Norman right when you called to do this podcast. So (laughs) I will let you know (laughs) I'm in the middle of it right now. I will let you know when I'm done, how Josh Norman looked in coverage because I haven't had to see him straight up run with a lot of receivers, but seeing him have that energy running to the ball and having the energy and tackling and forcing the turnover is really good. There's, there's a certain amount of energy that Josh Norman brings that is positive for this team. And that's great to have, but overall, you know, Jordan Poyer got the big pass interference penalty. And so we've had some stuff pop up. They've been okay. They've been okay. You haven't had dynamic plays. You haven't had big plays in coverage. You haven't had a ton of takeaways. They've been okay. So for them, I get B minus overall.
1: When it comes to Johnson specifically, like right now, if I'm, you've been the professor of this episode, let's say you're general manager, Bruce Nolan, which you've done on this podcast before. And let's just say for the sake of discussion, forget about how they finish or what happened in the postseason. But the season ended with this team, you're going into the offseason right now. Would nickel corner be maybe the number one priority on Bruce
0: Nolan GM's checklist right now? It would be very, very, very high on the checklist, and not just nickel corner necessarily. But if you're going to play in nickel a hundred percent of the time, I want a dynamic positionless defender to play in the nickel role. I want Jeremy Chin. That's what I wanted. I pounded the table for Jeremy Chin this off season. I would have taken Jeremy Chin as a nickel defender. I would have taken Christian Fulton as a CB two. We didn't get any of those things. We took AJ S instead, but. If you're going to be a nickel 100% of the time, then that means your nickel defender is a starter. So go get a starter. And that's what I want for this team. I want a starter for this team. And when you hear nickel that often, a dynamic nickel athlete could take this defense to the next level. And that's what I want this offseason because I don't think Taron Johnson's that guy. Again, you look at the defensive grades that you just handed out.
1: A C for the D line, C minus at linebacker, and a B minus for DBs. This team's 4-0, though. You know what I'm saying? That's what I keep coming back to. It's like all the offseason talk, all the expectations on this team, never in a million years did I think that the defense would be graded, and fairly so, kind of, I don't want to say mediocre, but maybe average at best, but yet this team is 4-0, and for the most part, they've done it in convincing fashion. It, it just
0: it continues to borderline shock me, you know what I mean? Absolutely. This idea that the Bills could be 4 and 0 with the defense being middling? That's how I would use it right now. Middling? That's flabbergasting to me. I don't understand how that's possible, but here we are. It's a whole new it's a brave new world, Pat. It's a brave <laughs> new world where we're scoring points and Josh Allen's an MVP candidate and I am here for it. I am <laughs> I'm all the way here for it. It's not Uh quickly special teams. I should at least hit on that.
1: Tyler Bass 4 of 6 for field goals. Again, one of them, you could argue that the kick should have been good. Another one, the laces were in. One extra point missed. Same deal with him. Corey Borges, 10 punts, 47.2-yard average. Andre Roberts has been very good with returns. 50 and a half per punt return, 34.7
0: on quick return. So what grade would you throw out for them? C-minus. Thank goodness for Andre Roberts. Because If it wasn't for Andre Roberts, this grade would not be as high of a C-minus. Corey Borges was really, really bad against the Raiders. Yeah. You know, he had 72-yard punt earlier in the year. We are like, okay, all right, let's, let's do this, Corey. Let's do this thing. And he was really bad against the Raiders. And Tyler Bass is still trying to find his way. So right now, the Bills came into this offseason with a punter battle and a kicking battle. And neither one of them has yielded a good result. So without Andre Roberts, this is probably really bad. But thankfully, Andre Roberts, with every opportunity he's got now, granted, the defense hasn't given him a lot of opportunities to return punts because they can't freaking stop anybody. But if they do, Andre Roberts is breaking off big returns and is helping put the offense in good field position, which correlates highly with scoring. So, I mean, as a whole, I give him a C minus, but they better be real grateful that Andre Roberts is there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, hardware. So Bill's MVPs, again, at the quarter point, a lot can and probably will change. Three of the four categories literally need zero debate. Josh Allen's very clearly the overall MVP. Stephon Diggs is absolutely the offensive MVP. Gabriel Davis, in part by performance and also a little bit by default anyway, is definitely the rookie of the year. I guess the question that I have that might require require a little bit of thought here is, If you had to pick somebody on a defense that, like you said, is middling so far, who's the defensive MVP at the quarter point?
0: I thought of this a lot, Pat. I thought of this so much. And I was like, who do I pick? Who do I pick? I eventually decided to pick Trey White. And the reason I decided to pick Trey White is he's just as good as I remember him being. You know, the idea that somehow corner play can drop off rapidly. I mean, look what happened to Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes was really good and then really terrible. And now all of a sudden with the Colts, he's good again. I don't know what happened, but corner play can just precipitously die off year over year. And Tredavious White has been good this year. It was between him and Jerry Hughes for me. I do think Jerry Hughes has played well this year and I couldn't do Matt Milano, even though he's played really well when healthy because he's been off the field too much. So it was really the three of them. And I decided to go with Trey White because when I watched the All-22, when I watched Tredavious White, I'm thinking... They're just not picking on Tredavious White. He's getting the elite lockdown corner treatment, which is people just aren't going that direction. They're just like, nah, I'll pass. I'll go against the linebackers instead. I'll go in these drag routes across the field. Instead, I'll go against Levi Wallace instead. One of the things that Miami dolphins were doing is anytime the bills would go zone, Ryan Fitzpatrick would make the right read in the intermediate parts of the field. Anytime they would go, man, he would go to whoever had Levi Wallace and because he wasn't even looking in the direction of Tredavious White that often. And that's kind of what you pay him for. You pay him so that you can help isolate other parts of the defense where you can assist players like Josh Norman or like Levi Wallace to be able to give them help. Now, if our linebackers could cover a little bit better and our defensive line could get pressure with just four and we didn't have to blitz people exposing the middle of our defense further, that would be beneficial. But Tredavious White I went with almost as a default because he's at least still good. Right. <laughs> you know, I
1: really wanted to go with Matt Milano, too. That was my first thought, because he's produced when he's on the field. And I also think we saw in Miami how important he is to be on the field. But I did kind of like what I saw when Dodson was in, when he was out against the Raiders a little bit. Just a hunch here. But I think if we were to have this conversation four weeks from now, or four games from now, I should say, at the midpoint. And again, just a hunch. I have a feeling like it's going to be at Oliver in a month. I think he's about ready to turn up. I'm starting to see little things from him. And I'm hopefully, anyway, I'm hopeful that he's going to start to dominate a little bit. But anyway, so I want to get one or two of your NFL takeaways around the league. Not necessarily Bills related at all. You kind of inadvertently stole mine. At least one of them anyway. And that was the rookie receivers this year, man. They've been even better than a lot of people thought they were coming in. I mean, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, They've been great. Ruggs is good. Got hurt early on. Justin Jefferson had a seven catch, one hundred seventy five yard game for Minnesota just two weeks ago. The kid from Frisco. Brandon hayek has been really good. T. Higgins, uh, Gabriel Davis. I mean, I like Pittman. Mims hasn't played yet. Uh, LaVisca, Chenaults look pretty good in Jacksonville. This class has been really, really good. As good as advertised. That's my. That was one of mine. And then I just I can't believe the NFC East is as bad as it as it is right now. I mean, come on, man. It's crazy. But when you look around the league right now, like what are one or two
0: things that are really sticking out to you? I think the first and biggest thing for me is just how many points are being scored across the league. I think that coming into this year, one of the popular narratives was that offenses would perhaps start a little bit behind due to the lack of preseason games and due to the lack of being able to kind of get in the groove with this weird offseason. And that has not been the case at all. And there have been plenty of people who have opined that the lack of crowd noise has allowed the offense to communicate a little bit better. And I think that's a point in the favor of home field advantage kind of guys. And when you add that to the fact that there are young quarterbacks who are starting to blossom, Baker Mayfield looks better. Josh Allen looks better. We're not going to talk about Sam Darnold. You know, people like this are starting to push, push the points scored forward. And so when you have teams who now the jets are like one of the worst scoring teams in football. And there it's right around 16, 17 points a game. The bills were at 19 last year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were middle of the ground. And now 16's like the worst in the league. And so I think that the amount of points scored and the rate at which they're being scored is shocking to me. And it's a huge part of this. The other thing contributing to that is holding calls are down and You know, you can go conspiracy theory and say that the NFL specifically said, hey, lighten up on the holding calls because we want to have a more entertaining product. There's a possibility that there's that. But holding calls are down across the league in precipitously down. And so that contributes to offensive explosion as well. So that's my biggest storyline across the league. My second biggest storyline across the league is the Broncos. And I understand that they've been riddled with quarterback injuries and Drew Locke is not playing for them. But I had really, really high hopes for the Broncos coming into this year. But then they had Von Miller go down, and they had Drew Locke go down, and they had Cortland Sutton go down. And they're really, really, really hurting, really hurting. And ironically enough, the interior offensive line is held up a little better. The tackles are still an issue in Denver. But the Denver Broncos are a little bit shocking to me. It's not shocking to me that the Jets are bad. Because Adam Gase is a bad head coach, but the one team that I thought was going to be farther ahead of where they're at right now is the Denver Broncos. So that's the second thing. I was going to say the NFC East, and then you said it. So I had to kind of scramble to find something <laughs> else right there on the fly. I don't know if it sounded like I knew what I was talking about right there, but I hopefully faked it well enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i tell you, you mentioned the Jets. That's really interesting to me because I mean, look, I'm positive they're going to have a new coach after the season. They look like, well, I don't want to say they're a lock to to be the worst team in the league this year because the other New York or New Jersey team, the Giants, are 0-4, and they're right with no Barkley. They're right there with them. But the Jets are going to be really interesting because, I mean, I'm sure the coach will have some input, assuming that, I mean, I'm going to assume that Adam Gase is going to wear out his welcome very soon. But if this team finishes at the bottom of the league, obviously Trevor Lawrence is the guy that, you know, almost everyone's going to covet. What direction can you see them going in? Like, I almost feel bad for Sam Darnold. He's he's not getting a fair shake. And I'm not saying if he was in Buffalo with the weapons and the coaching that he would be as good or better than Josh Allen. So I don't want that to be construed that way. But at the same token, how much are we really learning about this guy right now having to be on that team? Point being, is if they do finish dead last, it's going to be fascinating what they do if they stick with Sam Darnold and trade the pick because somebody's going to want Trevor Lawrence or conversely, if the giants do, because like I said, I think they're the team that's going to have the best chance to finish in the bottom of the league. If it's not the jets and they obviously got Daniel Jones, who they like a lot. So there's going to prod, there's a good chance that that top pick who, by the way, is probably going to be one of the most heralded quarterbacks coming in this league in quite a long time. Somebody's going to end up trading up to get him. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Joe Douglas did not hire Adam Gase. And Joe Douglas did not draft Sam Darnold. Right. So to me, if they get the number one pick, they should, and they will take Trevor Lawrence. That is, it's a slam dunk for me. The idea that you cannot move on from a first round pick quarterback is not true anymore because the contracts that they sign are not the same. And if you have a quarterback who you haven't even signed up for his fifth year option yet, mind you. So, if you get the number one overall pick, you don't have to make a decision on that fifth year option until after the draft. So, you don't have to sign up for a fully guaranteed year of Sam Darnold, year five, if you're Joe Douglas and you have a brand new coach. And if you have the number one overall pick and you want to bring in a coach, that coach is not going to want you saying, sure, you can come in, but just so you know, Sam Darnold has to be your guy. Cause that's going to narrow down your coaching search a lot. You're going to have to find people who love Sam Darnold. And I don't know if there's going to be a lot of those people left in the league. So for me, if the Jets end up with the number one overall pick, they will and they should take Trevor Lawrence. Joe Douglas doesn't owe Adam Gase anything. And Joe Douglas doesn't owe Sam Darnold anything. Well, it'll be an
1: interesting market during the offseason if, and assuming that's the case, which I told you that makes complete sense that they would trade Darnold, there'll be suitors lined up for him. I guarantee it. This guy's got skills, man. And again, I don't, I, I just, I almost feel bad for him. And I hate to say that about a divisional rival. It's just, man, you're talking about playing against a stack deck. But anyway, before I let you go, so I've known you a couple of years now. Obviously the bills are good. You have talked about the bills on podcasts when they were not very good. Does it matter to you as, I'm not talking about as a bills fan. Okay. We all know I'm a bills fan to some extent. You're a Bills fan to some extent as well. But you are also a podcaster. You're objective. I feel like you're unbiased. I feel like you call things the way you see them and not necessarily the way that your audience wants you to tell them. But you know what I'm saying. You're just being fair about points. Do you like it better when the Bills are playing well in terms of the actual podcast that you do itself? Or does that not matter to you? Because you just like talking football and breaking things down so much that if they're good, they're good, they're bad,
0: they're bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like it better because more people consume it. People are kind of trained to shut out the way they feel. And so when we lose, less people listen than when we win. Fair. The thing that is interesting about it is that you still run into the same haters. You just run into them on different parts of the spectrum. So I'll give you a great example. After the Cowboys game last year, when Bill's Mafia was flying high, Josh Allen had just played a good game. We had won a nationally televised primetime game on Thanksgiving. I mentioned on social media that Cody Ford at Right Tackle didn't play all that well. And people jumped down my ever-living throat, Pat. How dare you bring that negativity into me after we just won this game, this huge game? How dare you say that? Somebody told me to go F myself, Pat. And I was like, are are you, what? Why, Why are you yelling? I felt like Vince Vaughn from The Wedding Crashers. Like, why are you yelling at me after this this kid yells at him to make him a bicycle clown? I'm sitting here thinking to myself, why are you yelling at me? I just said the thing that I saw on the film. And so you still run into people who tell you, you need to be positive. No, no, I don't. I don't need to be anything. Just don't listen <laughs> if you don't like that. My job is not to hype people up. My job is not to tell people what they want to hear. My job is to give my opinion. And if people feel like they've listened to me long enough where they can trust my opinion and that they know if I screw something up, that I'm willing to come clean. Intellectual honesty is all I've ever promised anybody. That's all I've ever promised anybody at all. And so when things are winning, I promise intellectual honesty. And when we're losing, I promise intellectual honesty, but people are more willing to listen when we're winning. So you still run into issues, whether you're winning or losing when you're losing, nobody wants to hear anything good about the team at all. They want to wallow in it and they want you to tell them the sky is falling and they, they don't want to hear you say Brian Dable's not a bad offensive coordinator. Last year I had to fight every single week to convince people. Brian Dable wasn't a bad offensive coordinator. And this year they're all like, what are we going to do when he leaves for a head coaching job? So There is always going to be, it's like squeezing a piece of Play-Doh in your hand, Pat. It's (laughs) going to come out one side or the other, but it didn't really change shape. It didn't change size at all. It's just different. So you run into that one way or another. The benefit to winning is you have more people who are willing to open themselves up emotionally to consuming the content than you do when they're losing. Well, I'll tell you what, man, audience size aside.
1: I really marvel at the way you've been able, you've been so adaptable in podcasting. You had a partner and that was a great listen. And frankly, when you decided initially to do your own podcast, not once, twice a week to Bruce exclusive, I want to say I was concerned. I was a little bit wary though of how it was going to sound and how it was going to go. And I just, man, you just continue to blow me away. You really do. I've been saying it for, I don't know, a good 18 months now. I think you are as good, if not better than anyone else out there when it comes to discussing Buffalo Bills. Just leave it at that. So anyway, Bruce Exclusive, Thursdays and Fridays, part of the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, at Bruce Exclusive on Twitter. As always, man, you know how I feel about you. You know that I love any opportunity I get to have you on the podcast. So as always, brother, thank you very,
0: very much, man. Pat, thanks so much for having me, man.
1: All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, my man, Bruce Nolan. Best in the game, no doubt about it. Bruce Nolan, thank you very much. That was fun as always. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to Talking Buffalo Podcast, what are you waiting for? Please go ahead, do that right now. So easy to do, man. That rating review, it takes, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, and by doing that, You are really allowing me to continue to grow this podcast. So please do that. We're available quite literally on all the major podcasting platforms out there. Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, all of them. So do that. Follow us on YouTube as well. Talk Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. I have highlight clips from some current and past episodes up there. Going to be doing some original content that you'll only find on that YouTube channel nowhere else. Again, talk Buffalo podcast on YouTube. Then of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran tweets. I am constantly on Twitter, podcasts, promos, upcoming guests, polls, uh, just sports talk with fans, talks about life. I love it. So again, at Pamoran tweets, thank you so much for listening. I end every episode the exact same way backing you because it's just so important, man. I really appreciate it. I know how many shows there are out there. When you're locked in on this one, it just, uh, it doesn't go unnoticed by me. Let's just put it that way. I'm very, very grateful. So thank you very much. Have a good week. We will be back with a brand new episode on Friday.